So like 31 years ago, I am uh, an associate pastor. We are living in uh, D.C. at at the National Presbyterian Church. And um, I get a call from the senior pastor who says, I'm I'm stuck, Uh, I can't fly back. Uh, on the morning of, you're going to have to preach. And for an associate pastor, this is on one part terror and the other, this is so great. <laughs> so I, I, I preach at the 930 service, which is in the chapel. And uh, I'm trying to get ready for the 11. And I, I'm doing a lot of pounding of the pulpit. And, um, and uh, as I'm getting ready to leave that service uh, for the other uh, uh, service, the usher comes up and he goes, this was up in the balcony of the chapel. And I, I looked at it. It's, it's our friendship pads that we pass down the, the aisle. And um, uh, it, it, it said uh, Barbara and George Bush. Uh, Great service, and then underneath it's an address, Naval Observatory. That's where the vice president lives. Hope to be moving soon. And uh, so that that was neat. And and uh, President Bush gets elected, and and the next year is our sixth anniversary. And you can't even you have to create words to figure out how broke we were. We were so broke I couldn't even tell Laura how little we had. And so for our sixth anniversary, I'm going to take her out to eat, and I hear about this hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant where you can eat for like 12 or $15. Honey, how would you like to go out for Mexican? And so we, we, we go there, and after a wait, we're sitting in the front of the restaurant, and I'm, I'm looking out, she's looking in, and, and all of a sudden, a suburban ends at one end of the street and the other, and Laura goes, what's going on? I go, I don't know. Some, somebody is uh, coming. And we look up and through the door, uh, President Bush walks into this little hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant, and, you know, it's, it's Washington, so you've got to be cool. Everybody's sort of like this. And he, he gives a little bow, and then he goes to the back wall and sits at a table, and the Secret Service has one other small table, and then they kept letting people come in and serving people, and it just, it was normal. And, uh, you know, I'm in my 60s now. I cry at Hallmark cards. In my 30s, I didn't cry at anything. And and yet, uh, it was an incredible meal, and Laura went to the bathroom 16 times to, you know, walk right... (laughs) Right by the president, and, and I kept looking back and, uh, and tearing up, saying, this is why this is a great country, because our leaders aren't afraid of us, and we're not afraid of them, and we can sit together. Let's pray for the president. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this long life of this flawed, broken, sinful, grace-filled, faith-filled person who was a, a faithful citizen and a, and a hero in war and a lover of peace and a leader of people. And I, I thank you for that service. I, I am called in fresh ways to pray for all who lead us. And we pray for his family. We pray for those who look to him for inspiration. We ask that you will have the reunion in heaven be a wonderful one this weekend. 
as he now listens to you face to face, we would ask you to speak to us through your word. Amen. As Rich uh, pointed out, you know, in the first service, he tried to auction the picture off. Uh, as, as Rich uh, pointed out, we're in a series of sermons that prepare us for Christmas that's called Advent. And uh, it actually uh, goes for four Sundays. The, the Sunday after Christmas is still part of Advent. The reason that's significant is because Melissa is going to preach the Sunday after Christmas, you know, like a good associate pastor is supposed to do. And, uh, but she's excited about it, and she says, you know, we ought to take the theme that we had in our fall series, that the Beatitudes, the blessings of God for the kingdom's people, we ought to take that same theme into Advent. So we talked about what a Beatitude was, that it is the upside-down gift or the upside-down blessing of the upside-down kingdom from the upside-down king. And as we think about Advent, it's the same thing. At Advent, we wait for the coming of the upside-down king. We offer him gifts and we receive gifts from him each week. We, we celebrate that. We, this week, we talk about the gift of hope and then peace and then joy and love. And yet, because either... either Think about it this way. Either he's upside down or we are. The gifts are going to look different. So this first week is the candle of hope. And I guess I want to say that it's a different kind of hope than we get in the Hallmark cards because it's a gift that comes from a different kind of king. We just talked about one of the rulers of the earth, uh, President Bush. But we have had kings forever. Everybody in the world had a king except for Israel. Israel didn't have a king. And after a while, when they were delivered out of slavery by Moses and Joshua led them into the promised land, they didn't have a king. They just had what were called judges to settle arguments. And they started to want a king. Why would you want a king? Well, because everybody else has one. And when you are in trouble, you look to a king to keep you safe. A king is a sign of hope. When things go bad, you can look to this leader and say, give us hope. And Israel was tired that the invisible God was their king. And so they got Maybe the best of the Old Testament kings in David, right? And in 2 Samuel, it says this. The Lord said to David, I took you out of the pasture following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you go, and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring from your body and establish a kingdom. Your throne will be established forever, a kingdom that will last But then, the people stopped not only following the king, they stopped following God, and the king stopped following God, and that bright start of David and Solomon turned into civil war, turned into invasion, turned into exile, and the kings were gone. 
And from exile, the prophet Isaiah says, maybe we need a different kind of king. And in exile, with no hope, Isaiah looked forward to when Israel would have another king. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On them a light has shone, and the government will be on his shoulders. This king, this different kind of king, is going to give hope to people who feel like they are stuck in the dark. Some of you feel like you're in the dark, even today. Then it goes dark, literally, and quiet for Israel. 400, 500 years, no prophet, no king, nothing but bad news. And then all of a sudden, out of the boondocks of the Galilee... This peasant woman named Mary, a girl named Mary, gets pregnant, and instead of feeling ashamed, she starts to sing. She starts to sing, and and she says, Everyone will call me blessed, for the mighty one has scattered the proud and brought down the mighty and lifted up the poor. He's filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. He, that is this new king, he's shown the mercy He spoke of forever to the offspring of Abraham. And she has a little boy, and she thinks he'll be the king. And Mary raises her son. And this king comes to give hope, but it's hope for the poor and for the hungry and for the helpless and for the people who are well-to-do and proud. They seem to get sent away. And if nothing else, Jesus is his mama's boy. Jesus is his mother's son. And when he believes that he is called to be king, it says he went into the synagogue and they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Remember the people who walked in darkness in great light? They gave him the scroll of Isaiah and he found where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. That's what happens with a king. They anoint the king's head. They have anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. And today, Jesus says, today you've heard this scripture fulfilled. The king comes back. And he comes to bring hope to the people who feel that they are invisible. The ones who are hopeless. And so his kingdom starts. When they, when they want to make him king to kick out the Romans, he talks about being a servant king. He says, anybody wants to be my follower, they have to pick up a cross and follow me. And the people walk away. He, he's passionate about peace in Jerusalem and And the things that lead to peace, because this king, this king brings hope to people who don't have any peace. Some of you look good on the outside, but your your insides are in a knot. There is no peace. You need peace. Well, the, the more Jesus becomes popular, the more the kings of this world become the enemies of that king. King Herod tries to kill him as a baby. At the end of his life, Caesar takes notice. And it says, the chief priests of the Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. They decide they don't want this upside-down king. They don't want this servant sacrifice stuff. They don't want a king that turns everything upside down. 
And the Jews asked the Romans to kill the king. And the king dies. Another kingdom dies. The difference is that, that this king is a king who won't stay dead. And he comes back from the grave. He gives hope to his followers and judgment to the world. That's a part we don't often talk about at Christmas, that he wants to bring hope to those who will follow him and judgment to the world. At the end of Matthew, it says, And then on judgment day, the king will say, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you put clothes on me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And this is the king. This is the king who brings hope different than the world would ever know. The candle of hope, that first gift of the king. Do you? Are you in a place where you need hope today? Are you in a place where somebody near you needs hope and you don't know what to say? What does hope look like in an upside-down kingdom? John Ortberg says that the, the church is in the hope business. We ought to be known for our hope. There was a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, one of Martin Luther King's favorites. And Niebuhr said there's a huge difference between biblical hope and optimism. I'm an optimist. But Niebuhr said that optimism is the belief that the circumstances are going to get better, that there will be progress. But hope in the Bible is built on the conviction that another kingdom, another reality already exists. And that hope endures when hype fades. I love that. Hope endures when hype, optimism, fades away. So what's the difference for you? Are you an optimist or do you want hope? Sometimes it's easier to say what it looks like. A little boy is playing Little League Baseball. His dad is late to the game. When the dad gets to the game, he looks up and the score is 18 to nothing and his son is not winning. He comes and sits behind his little boy and he whispers in his ear, Oh, son, it's just a game. Don't be discouraged. And the kid turns around and goes, Discouraged? I'm not discouraged. We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> That's an optimist. <laughs> Another little boy. There, there's a... A school district that has special teachers that go into the hospital when some student is there for a long term, not able to come to school. And this hospital teacher goes to the homeroom of the regular little boy and, and says, what can I do for him? And the teacher goes, oh, this is so great. We're working on nouns and adverbs. And I'm just so afraid he's going to fall behind. Can you help him? And so the next day she takes her nouns and adverbs chart, walks into the hospital, walks into the little boy's room, and nobody had told him that the boy had been terribly burned and was in deep pain. And they were not sure that he would live at all. And he's so disfigured that the teacher is hanging back and she comes to the edge of the bed and he half turns and... and she says, uh, your teacher has sent me to talk to you about nouns and adverbs because she doesn't want you to fall behind. 
And she hands the little chart and he can't even hold it up. And she rushes through the descriptions and nouns and adverbs and, and then she's embarrassed so she just, she just leaves and, and goes away and feels like she failed. And the next day she comes back to try again. The nurse comes up to her in the hall and says, what did you do? She goes, oh, I'm so sorry, I was embarrassed. Now, what did you do? I, I, I just, I, I was embarrassed. I, what did you do as soon as you left? He sat up in bed and he started to drink. And he's doing the exercise. We thought he was going to die, and I think he's going to live. What did you do? They had another lesson, and it wasn't until two weeks later that the little boy turned to a nurse, and and he said, you know, I figured it this way. They they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a kid that was going to die, would they? (laughs) That's hope. A belief in a different future. Hope is not based on what we've done or what we can do now or in the past, good or bad. No matter who we are, we can always have hope because hope isn't based on us. Hope comes from the goodness and the infinite mercy of God here and now. Hope is a mercy that never changes. And whenever I feel discouraged, if you're in despair, we should remember the different king, the king that brings hope, that King Jesus comes with love that never lets go, no matter what happens today or tomorrow. I've come to believe that uh, What's set up here really matters. That the message that we proclaim determines the kind of people that will be produced. So if you get up and preach, the mall is at hand, you produce consumers. If you preach, if you proclaim, TV is at hand, you produce spectators. But if you get up and you proclaim, the revolution is at hand, the king is coming then it's likely that you will produce warriors of hope. If if the church proclaims the gospel is how to get to heaven by doing nothing, it'll produce people who don't do nothing, who have no real hope when the optimism breaks down and they have nothing to share because people with hope that comes from God have something to share. 18th century England was a little bit like the world today. There are a very few at the top living in luxury, and there are very many down here that nobody ever sees. And a, a person became a follower of Jesus, and she and her husband, William and Claire, started to feel like there was something they were called to do, but they couldn't figure out what. And Claire Booth Luce said, There really are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Because without hope, you despair. And without hope, you stay at home. 
And so she and her husband started to gather some other followers of Jesus and they went out on the street corners with drums and tambourines and trombones and a big bowl and they started to play and they started to beg the people that came by saying, would you please help us help the hopeless? Help us save the people that has nobody else with them and out of that comes the Salvation Army. Because they became people of Jesus' hope and they gave hope to others. Laura and I had the privilege for the last 25 plus years to teach our children how to beg. We have every Christmas for the last 25 years stood at the entrance to a store and rung a little bell and begged people that came by, some who ignored us, some who threw a little in, some who shared our heart. And as we begged, we, we thought of the king of hope. Some of the lessons are a little harder to learn than others. But as, as we have done this bell ringing, we have learned that people who have hope share that hope with others. And they recognize that it's different than becoming an optimist. I don't think I'm an optimist anymore. But I have hope. You see hope and you say, that's the real thing. Friday night, we had a, several hundred of us in here for a fundraiser for the Treehouse uh, Organization Ministry. And it was just another one of those fundraisers. Great. But at, in, in, in the middle of it, uh, a young woman gets up, Hispanic, her parents don't really uh, speak uh, much English, and she told her story. Her name was Marlon, and she learned the difference of despair and, and hope. Her family was going back to Mexico. She was five or six years old, and a member of her family started to abuse her physically and then sexually. She talked about being dragged out from under the bed where she tried to hide and being sexually abused and not being able to tell her mom and dad about it. And as you can imagine it, it changed her. She, she started in cycles of, of depression and self-destruction and, and despair and darkness, just darkness. She said, I actually liked it dark better because then I didn't have to take the risk of, of thinking that I was going to get hurt again. She said, and then I met some people who did not try to fix me. I, I didn't try to get fixed by these people. They talked to me about love that would not let her go. People of Hope at Treehouse saw her as a beloved child of God when everybody else saw her as a problem because they had the eyes of the King of Hope and this little girl leaned into that love from King Jesus. And her life is different. She's a senior now at, at St. Kate's. And here, after growing up abused and depressed, she stood up in front of everybody and, and she says, so I, I know today I am loved and I am capable and I am worthwhile 
And I am loved without conditions, and I am not alone. And for the last year, year and a half, this young woman has reached out to little boys and little girls who have no hope. Because when you have had hope given to you by Jesus the King, you want to share it with other people. This is what Advent is about. We wait, we search, and we choose whether we are going to follow again the king of Amazon, or are we going to follow the upside down king? Because when we follow the upside down king on our most hopeless days, we come to this table. Sometimes it's called a banquet, and sometimes it's called a feast. This table is never called a picnic. It's not a picnic. It's a place where hope is served on the menu that pushes back despair. Where the centerpiece of the feast is love that will not let you go ever. And it's meant to be shared. Lord Jesus, I thank you that once again you show me that you are a different kind of king who offers a different kind of feast. And I pray that as you did so long ago, you will take the bread and the cup and you will turn it into your body and your blood broken for us. That we will eat hope <clears throat> and we will drink deep of your love and we'll be hope-filled and when we leave we will be ambassadors of your hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.